but I want to thank the worship team for leading us in worship. It's been really good, uh, always good every week to hear the quality of what they do and how they lead us to God just in those opening songs. As you know, we've been uh, in this series of talks uh, called the Upside Down Kingdom. Basically, if you want to go up, you've got to go down. And it's based on what uh, Paul had to say in the book of Philippians and talked about the humility of Christ. So that even though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. But he laid aside his mighty power and he took on the form of, ser- of a servant and the likeness of man. And he flipped everything. This is when humility actually came into the world in terms of being something that people sought after. It's now one of the most sought after leadership qualities. People are looking for a leader who will humble themselves. We're not seeing a whole lot of that these days, but that's the way it goes. But if you want to go up, especially in Jesus' kingdom, like the whole thing is flipped. If you want to go up, you've got to go down. What I'm going to be talking about tonight is grace. And I'll tell you what, here's, here's the deal. In our lives as followers of Jesus, what we know, what we know uh, doesn't really make a whole lot of difference if we don't live it. And this is especially true when it comes to grace. Because we live in a world that is thirsty for grace. People who want to know what grace is. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. And yet, many times people don't understand it because they've never seen it lived out. And so that's basically what I want to talk about tonight. Uh, I recently bought this um, turbo pump, okay, as seen on TV, as advertised. So anyways, what happens, they usually show frustrated people who are spilling gas all over their snowblowers, all over their lawnmowers, and all over their cars and everything like that. And then they get the turbo pump, and they're happy because now they can pump it in and not spill it all over the place. So turbo pump helps with something called overflow, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. Where does the overflow go is basically what I want to deal with. Overflow can create a problem. Uh, a couple months ago, we had a huge downpour at our house. And so um, I'm sitting in our living room and I can see the water flowing over top of the gutters in the front and the back and it's flowing down. Now the point of you know, having gutters is that the water is supposed to go into them and then they flow. I'm not sure exactly where all the water goes, but it's supposed to go someplace and, uh, and it wasn't going there. Uh, we have an oak tree in our yard and there's an overflow of acorns. And I'll tell you, the squirrels are as happy as can be about that. But, you know, they're just rolling all over the place, you know, and there's only one oak tree that's growing. So I'm wondering where these things are going. Maybe the deer are happy. We all take showers, least I do and I hope you do Um, and there's an overflow it's called gray water and it goes someplace where it's supposed to go okay Uh, I a couple years ago I left a kitchen tap on all night and there was like 600 gallons of overflow that went down through the floor of our kitchen and down into the basement we take Starbucks in the in the car with us and sometimes there's overflow if they don't put a cap on it there's brown stains on the floor where there's overflow And there's an overflow thing from our lives. We don't always think about it a lot, but our lives spill over the paths and they spill over the lives of the other people who are around us, into our cars, into our homes, into our workplace, into our families. It's kind of like DNA, you know? It's invisible. Nobody can actually see, oh, there's DNA right there. I can see it, you know, on on my cigarette or on my cup that I left or whatever. It's invisible, but like DNA... There's a trail that we leave behind us in life. Depending on what the overflow is, that can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. Jesus said that, you know, it's out of the mouth that 
the overflow comes, the overflow of the heart. And if the heart is filled with good things, it's like, you know, if you have a glass of water and somebody bumps you, you know, what spills out of the glass is water. But if you have a glass full of acid, you're going to burn your hand because that's going to spill out too. Whatever is inside of you is what spills out when you get bumped in life. And uh, especially true in traffic, isn't it, huh? Now, I wanna, what I want to talk about this Thanksgiving weekend is the kind of overflow that God wants to see from our lives. It's the kind of overflow that needs to come out of our lives if we're going to be, be able to make a difference. Now, um, back when Thanksgiving was initiated, back in 1620, I think it was, in that first year, the people who were part of that, they lost, like I think, half of their group. I think it was about 100 and some people. They lost half of their group to disease and, and weather and just all kinds of start. They were all kinds of stuff. They were off to a fresh start in Massachusetts. And so after that first year, they actually had some of the indigenous people who helped them to know how to plant corn. And so what they realized is that everything good that they experienced come from God, because it always does. Everything good comes from God, everything that we hope for. All good things, all good things in our lives that we enjoy come from the overflow of what God builds into our lives. God is so huge and so all-encompassing that he spills over into our lives. That's a good thing. I don't know if you've ever run out of patience. Anybody here ever ever run out of patience? I do, okay? Uh, Or have you ever run out of forgiveness? I do, (laughs) Well, God never does. God never has to have a sign up that basically says, you know, while supplies last. He never has to do a disclaimer on, you know, anything like that because he is always full of goodness and kindness and forgiveness. And that goodness and kindness and forgiveness called grace spills over into our lives. And the point is that it's supposed to spill out into all kinds, of, into, uh, into the other lives of those who are around us and so on. Uh, and you just see this. God made all of creation to reproduce, you know. He declared it at the very beginning. He said, you know, be fruitful, multiply. And it did. <laughs> I don't think he was surprised, but we were. I mean, 50 kinds of beetles would have been enough for me, okay. But he made 50,000 different kinds of beetles, I like to fish, but, you know, 100 different kinds of fish would have been fine. He made 33,000 different, 33, different kinds of fish, and in their colors, and all of the goodness, it overflows from God's grace. You think of how food reproduces. The food uh, at the very first Thanksgiving was basically maize or corn, which is fantastic because it multiplied like crazy. Like a, an ear of corn can hold about 500 kernels, so if they could get, let's say, 50 plants, well, then they, you know, they would have, you know, a lot of corn that they could plant the next year. In fact, an acre of corn, I did some research on this, and an acre of corn produces somewhere between nine and 10 tons of corn, okay? That's a lot of corn. So, you know, you could have like, let's say eight tons for you and your animals to eat, and then you have a, you know, another, you know, ton to actually plant for next year. So this was incredible, and it was the indigenous people that taught them how to do this. And so they were grateful and they had this big meal, and they thanked God for what he had done. You look around you in the beauty, especially this time of year, and you see the colors of the leaves and, and all the beauty that God has given us. It's the overflow of his goodness. You know, God uh, created a water system, and it's self-cleansing. It goes out, and it's all contaminated, and what happens is it gets sucked up into the clouds, and then it gets cleaned up and rained out again onto the planet. Same with air. Air gets cleaned up, you know, it gets sucked into the trees and the plants and so on, and it comes 
comes back out as oxygen. So God has created all of this. He put enough DNA in every single person to produce everything from brilliance to, you know, like people who aren't brilliant, you know, from, uh, pe- from artists to people who are engineers. So it's all of this that's been built into us, and it's the overflow of God's goodness because God is a God of abundance, and it overflows from who he is. Now here's my point. Not only have we been made in the image of God, but as followers of Jesus, God's plan is to make us like him, people who overflow. And a quick read through the Bible makes it clear that God honors those who are generous, people who overflow with what has been poured into their lives, into the lives of other people. Uh, God uh, addressed the Israelites, and he says this. He says, is anyone poor, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed. And it's kind of the imagery, isn't it? You know, tight-fisted or open-handed. Some people leave fingerprints on everything they touch because they hold on to it so tightly. It says, freely lend them whatever they need. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. And then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything that you put your hand to. He also talked to them. You know what he said to them you know, about their harvest? He said, don't beat the last olive off your tree. Don't, you know, pluck the last fig off your tree. Don't pull the last sheaf of grain out of your field. Leave it for the poor. Come on. Let some overflow come from your lives to the people that are around you. And it's all talking about overflow. It says that the overflow of our worship to God, our thanksgiving to God, should be the overflow of his grace and his kindness and his forgiveness to the people around us. See, to go through life thinking that you have got to cling to every scrap of food and money and forgiveness, you know, to have enough for you is to lose the plot. I'll tell you, I've done a lot of funerals, okay, hundreds of them, okay, and, and if you're going to have a funeral that's worth going to you, want to, have to, you want to have given to other people because I've seen some where everybody's scratching their heads trying to think about some good thing that the person has done because they just grabbed everything in sight and left the earth with it clutched in their fingers until it got pried out. Jesus didn't just talk about this. He actually practiced it. Remember how uh, he took a little bag lunch. Some little kid's mom had packed him this bag lunch to go out and hear Jesus and so on. And so he asked for the lunch. And there's 5,000 people out there. So he multiplies this little bag lunch that this kid gives him. And so they, everybody eats. And there wasn't anybody out there saying, man, I'm still hungry. Everybody stuffed themselves. And then they gathered up the leftovers, okay? And there was overflow. There were 12 baskets of food left. He did this again for 4,000 people. And it says that there were seven great big baskets of leftovers. So there's the overflow. You know, and so what's interesting is you read his, you know, the, the story after that, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, you know, and uh, they're crossing a lake, and he makes a comment about the, the yeast of the Pharisees, and they begin thinking, uh-oh, we forgot to bring bread. Jesus is worried about that. And Jesus is like, don't you guys get it? Like, did you not see the leftovers, the basket of leftovers? you think I'm concerned about the fact that we're going to starve in the boat? Of course not. Jesus' ongoing teaching was about the goodness of God and how we're God's children, and he's a good dad who loves to give good things to his children. You're not, you, know, you never have to worry about CAS coming in to have to take God's children away from them because you're not taking care of them. Because God is a good dad. Jesus 
emphasized this. He emphasized that, that what, we, what we overproduce in our lives is intended to overflow into the lives of other people. Um, he talked to, told a story about a wealthy farmer. And this guy is very clear in this whole context that his land produced a lot. And he had land that was really good. And he had land that was really fertile and so on. And so this guy has all this crop and it's overflowing. He says, what in the world am I going to do? He forgot about the fact that he had people around him who were starving and said, I need to build bigger barns, you know, to catch all the overflow. I can't let any of this escape. And God's word to him is, you're full. You're a fool because you're thinking about just like stuffing it all into your barns instead of thinking about the fact that like who's going to have it when you die. And Jesus said this after that story. He says, and do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's true, isn't it? When our heart gets all wrapped around holding on to what we have instead of understanding that the overflow is intended to go out to others, it does something to our hearts. You know, in the, in the book of Acts, the, the people who talked about Jesus, they said that his basic philosophy when it came to money and possessions was, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Like, let it flow out of your life. And it's simple, you know. It's profound because it brings God joy when what he is able to give to us overflows from his goodness, and then when it overflows from us into the lives of other people. Goodness and grace is intended to overflow. Now think for just a minute about Jesus' comment that he made about how God blesses and so on. This is what he said. He said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. Now let's say that you're God. And you see two groups of people out there. You see, you know, one group of people, and like you know that if you give to them, you know, that it's going to flow, you know, out of their lives and it's going to flow into the lives of other people because you know that the way the world is set up, that it's not equal, Okay. But there is also another group of people, and you know that everything that you pour into their lives is going to go, they're going to stuff it in their silo, and they're going to keep it there because they're scared to death that there's going to come a day and they're going to starve and they won't have enough. And the question is, who would you give it to if you were God? Would you give it to the person who's going to stuff it all in their silo and keep it for themselves? Or are you going to give it to somebody where it's going to flow out of their lives and then flow into the lives of other people and flow into the lives of other people? Now, I want to be really clear, okay? This is not a message about giving. It's not, okay? Uh, This is about the greater context of God's generosity and the overflow of who he is. And it's about grace. Now, I don't know if you remember, we defined grace uh, last week when we talked. And grace is... No, sorry about that. I missed this part. Uh, God is not a God of scarcity. He's a God of abundance. And uh, he tells us, give. There's plenty more where that came from. Okay? But I, I, I missed something here. Okay. Anyways, grace is undeserved favor. It's unearned favor. And it's unearnable. You understand it, right? You can't ever earn it. By definition, you can't earn it. Now, The moment that you think that you know, you've earned grace, it turns into something else because grace can never be earned. 
Now, when we think of grace, we think about Jesus dying on the cross and giving his life for us so that we could be saved, so that we could find forgiveness, so that we could find life. And, and it's that, it's all of that. But it's bigger than that. It's, it's God's ongoing kindness. It's God's ongoing goodness and forgiveness and love, you know, for people like me. People who can be sneaky and people who can be defiant and people who can be wayward and people who can be extremely selfish. Now, I know none of you out there struggle with that, but I do, okay? The picture of grace in redemptive history is, is just amazing. Grace is love, first of all, grace is God's love causing him to leave the perfection and the beauty and the adoration of heaven and then humbling himself to come here and end up being born in a barn, okay? With Mary as his mother and with Joseph as his dad and then dying in shame on a cross. So that grace is always about humbling yourself. You, you have to go down if you wanna go up. But Jesus wasn't just full of grace. He was full of truth too. And that's what you find about Jesus, which is amazing. You know, it wasn't like when he said, saw people who were, you know, failed and stuff like it. It wasn't like he said, oh, that's okay. You know, I had a rough upbringing and stuff like this. And you didn't have all the advantages in life. So we'll just kind of let that go. No, he, he didn't do that at all. Uh, John told us a story in his book about a woman who was caught right in the act of adultery. So she could, she's dragged right out into the square, right out in the temple, the place that she didn't want to be, probably had a sheet or something wrapped around her. And, and so they're standing around saying, so Jesus, you know the law says to stoner what are you going to do about this you know and so jesus said let me think about this he didn't think too long and he said okay he said yeah let's do that let's have the person who has never sinned throw the first rock and of course you know they all kind of mumbled among themselves and so on it says that the eldest who had had the most time in their lives to sin left first and then the youngest left and so when Jesus was alone there with that woman, he didn't say, no, this has been a tough time, you know, and so you just, you know, you just kind of go on. No, he said, he said to her, he says, I don't condemn you either. In other words, I love you. I love you more than you would ever imagine. But go and leave your life of sin. So there's grace and there's truth. What you're doing is destructive. Don't keep destroying your life. Here's grace. Grace is what we want more than anything in the world. I don't know if you've ever, you know, when you were a kid, come home, you know, and, and, and so your parents had the goods on you, okay? They knew where you'd been. They knew what you'd been doing and so on. What you want in that moment is you want grace. That's what you want, okay? Uh, it happens, you know, and you're out in the marketplace or something like this, and you've done something, you know, scummy, and your boss knows about it, and you get called into, a, into his office, and you're standing there shaking, thinking, okay, I'm going to probably lose my job. And so what you want more than anything else in that moment, when you're vulnerable and open, is you want grace. Grace is what we want more than anything else in the world, and God's grace is extravagant. As you know, his goodness has no limits. His grace, you know, is an, express, is an expression of that. And it kind of overflows out of heaven. It comes down through the cross and drips, you know, into our lives. And it goes into the most dark and awful places on this planet. I don't know if you know the history of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, but it goes right into the prison cells of people like him who killed people and then ate them and stored their heads in his refrigerator. Does he deserve grace? Well, of course he doesn't. But grace isn't about what you deserve. Not about that at all. That's the point, isn't it? Grace is beautiful. <laughs> grace is the most beautiful thing on the planet. You know, that it heals and it conquers pride. But the inverse is also true. 
that pride kills grace. It does. And I'll tell you, you know, we can you know, sit in a worship service and we can cry and praise God and sing about God's grace, but when it actually comes time, not just to receive it, but to actually give it out to other people and let it overflow from our lives and forgive somebody who's hurt us deeply, all of a sudden, man, the tears dry right up, you know? And, you know, and the warm spot that we had in our heart kind of goes away and becomes a little bit cold. And we sit there, <laughs> yeah, when hell freezes over, you know, I'll forgive. Not in this lifetime. Because we can get really emotional about grace when it comes uh, to what we want from grace, but when it comes time to actually give it, <laughs> it gets difficult, doesn't it? Strange, isn't it? That grace is the trademark of what Jesus has done for us. And grace actually takes, you know, following Jesus out of the religion category and it puts, into the, it puts it into the context of a relationship of love and trust and respect. And it's symbolized by the cross because, you see, that's where it started. Grace makes us cry with gratitude when we receive it. And we never forget the moment of relief when we actually felt it. And Jesus came here because he wanted to establish a relationship between the Father and us. And he gave his life so that that could happen. And he told us that love is at the core of everything. And so we get that, you know. He said, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you know. And, and we think, yeah, okay, I can do that. And religious people, yes, we need to love God with all we are. We need to give it up. We need to, you know, put him first and stuff. But then Jesus said, oh, yeah, there's another commandment that goes along with it. Love your neighbor as yourself, do for them the things that you would want them to do for you. And that's what grace is. Grace is Jesus calling us into a relationship with himself that makes us like him. Where the goodness and the kindness and the mercy and the forgiveness of God doesn't just come into our hearts, but it overflows into our lives. Jesus hated graceless religion you know all you have to do is read you know in Matthew when he you know takes down the Pharisees with what he says there that's exactly what that was it was graceless religion now these people that Jesus confronted about this I mean these were good Bible believing you know Bible thumping people they respected God and they tithed and they you know they fasted and they helped in the past and they observed the Sabbath and everything I you know why Jesus was so hard on them it's because they thought we deserve God to be good to us for God to be good to us, but you know the lowlifes out there, they don't. The word deserve cancels grace. We talked about this a little bit last week. Religion is spelled do. Like do, 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 and then God is obligated to bring good things into your life. And grace means it's done. Like you don't have to earn something from God. And it takes our good works from out of the whole context of earning something with them so that they can come from a heart that's filled with love. Grace is what we long for most. It's what God gives so freely. And I'll tell you, it is what we are most reluctant to give to other people, especially when it comes to forgiveness. And that's a problem. Because, you know, Psalm 23, you've heard me talk endlessly about this, but it talks about all the good things that we enjoy in life, that God gives us peace and he allows us to sleep at night and he, and he, brings, you know, he brings the spiritual quotient of our lives down to the place where we can actually take it. He brings it into our realm and so on. And he watches over us. He comes looking for us when we lose our way. And, and he brings all these good things into our lives, fills our lives with good things. But then at the very end of that, it says that, you know, his goodness and love, it flows 
into our hands. His anointing pours into our hands. And then it's supposed to pour out into our path in the form of love and kindness and goodness. That's what changes the lives of people behind us. And that's why this passage says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Why? Because it was only when he stooped that the goodness and the kindness and the graceness and the loveness of God and the love of God was able to flow out of his life and flow into the lives of those who were around him. Receiving grace and kindness, you see, goes way deeper than getting it. Uh, you've seen me use this teapot a lot, you know, and, and there's a handle, and the handle belongs to God, and the spout is where God wants to pour us out, and this is the top, and if you can get it off, it basically allows more to go in. But you see, how can you ever ask God to replenish the supply of goodness in your life and, re- and, and re- replenish the supply of resources if nothing ever comes out of it? See, the very nature of that is that there has to be something into it for, for it to come out. God replenishes the supply of goodness and pours it into our lives. Now, here's one thing Jesus was very clear about, and, and this is the part that gets really unsettling for us, okay? You ready? Grace is not fair. <laughs> Grace is not fair. It's not. Jesus told a story about a guy who had hired these guys, and so he goes out into the marketplace where people who didn't have jobs were, and so he'd go out and he'd, he'd say, you, 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 and you, and you, and you, and you. You go out and work in my field. So these guys would go out. He said, he agreed with them. They were going to pay them a denarius a day, which was a fair wage back in that day. And so they went out and worked, and then he went out like a couple hours later and, and said, oh, I need more. How come you're still standing here? So I'll take you and you and you and you and you. And he sent them out to work in his field, and they came out a few, lays, few, later, uh, few hours later, picked out more people so like it's like five o'clock six o'clock is quitting time he goes out and he hires more people and sends them out into the field so then they all gather together and they're anticipating that they're going to get paid and so on everything's going to be cool and so on so he actually brings the people that he hired last in first so they've worked an hour at most maybe less than that and so he comes up and he pays them a denarius so the people at the end of the line, they're thinking, what's going on here? Oh, this is good. Okay, that means we get paid a denarius an hour, not a denarius for the day, you know? And then they get up there, and he pays them a denarius, and they're grousing about it, and they're upset. You know, what's going on here? He says, hey, it's my money. Can I do, not do what I want with my money? Grace isn't fair. So we think to ourselves, especially in a world like ours, well, I want justice. That's what I want. I want justice. And it's a big deal in our culture. And it's good because we are called to be just people. And, you know, poor, you know the Old Testament, especially in Joel, talks about you know, justice coming down and rolling into our lives like a river. But I'll tell you what, your relationship with God has to do better than that, honestly. You know, justice, you've heard me talk about the sin list, right? And I'm not going to beat anybody up with this today. But, you know, we, we all have a list of sins, right? Right? We all have a list of sins, okay? So justice means you can beat me with the list of sins because I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. Just beat me with it, okay? And people do, okay? You, you know that if you're in a relationship. So that's justice. 
Uh, let me give another illustration. It might be a little bit better, okay? Let's say I'm in a hurry to get to church, you know, and I'm stopped for speeding on Castlemore Avenue. I'm doing 75 and a 40. Not that I would ever do that, of course, but I was, you know. So the officer comes up to my window, and he says, like, where do you think you're going so fast? Don't you know that there are people walking on streets? You could hit somebody and kill them. Now, I'll tell you what I'm not going to say at that moment. I want justice. That's not what I want at that time. See, justice is a $265 fine. I know, I looked it up. And four points on my record. And it means that, you know, the insurance company gets to charge me like, you know, four times more for my insurance than I really ought to pay. So I would say, could you show me some mercy? Mercy is, okay, well, I'm going to chalk this down. I'm not going to do 75 and a 40. I'm going to do 60 and a 40. So you get, you know, a little bit less on the fine. You still get the points and stuff. So that's mercy, Grace is the officer leaving his ticket thing in his car and coming up, you know, and saying, hey, why don't you come over to my house for a barbecue tomorrow night and so on. And, I, you know, you're the thousandth person to get caught speeding on Castlemore, and I'm going to give you an award for doing that. That's what grace is. Grace means that I don't get what I deserve. I don't get less than I deserve. I get what I don't deserve. That's what grace is. Let's go deeper. You know, Let's talk about something that you probably won't talk around talk about around the turkey dinner. And that's the overflow of God's goodness, not just onto your table in the form of mashed potatoes and turkey and gravy and stuffing and all the stuff like that. But what's going to happen? Like, is it actually going to flow off of your table into the lives of other people? See, God, grace was God's response to our recklessness and our sin and our defiance and the harm that we've caused him. Grace is God saying, I will send my son not to accuse people. In fact, Jesus said that, didn't he? You know, John chapter 3 says, I didn't come to accuse the world. He said, I came to save it. Saying, you know, I'm not going to slam dunk them for what they've done. And that they better turn or you know, burn or forsake or bake or whatever it is, you know, that they have to pay for the damages for, that they've done on this world. No, I'm going to forgive them for the mess that they've created and make their lives new and change their hearts. Let's get even more specific about grace, okay? And this gets into a very, very messy area of our lives. You ready for this? Are you ready for this? Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure, okay? This is the most difficult one, and it's forgiveness. Other people have been downright mean to us. They've taken advantage of us. They've hurt us. They've taken money from us that they've never repaid and they won't own it or deal with it. And Jesus tells us what to do with this kind of stuff right out of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, what about the person who makes you so angry? You have anybody like that in your life? <laughs> he said, well, let it go. What about the person whose point in their life is to basically make your life miserable? And he says, pray for them lesson what about the person who makes you carry some kind of a load in your life that you should never have had to carry jesus said don't just carry it one mile carry it two what about your enemy like this is the person who can't stand you and they can't stand your family and they can't stand your god and that's clear jesus said love them because god loves them and he wants you to do the same 
most powerful image in the Bible is Jesus being nailed to the cross and him saying to God as his arms and his feet are being nailed to the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It's grace. Jesus said that when we're praying for forgiveness, when we've really screwed up and we've been caught, we've been, you know, like in, we're like deer in the headlights and, and we know we're guilty and stuff like this, he said this to clarify his expectations. He says, for if you forgive other people, he says, forgive those who have sinned against you. You know, God, Father, forgive me just like I'm forgiving other people. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But do not forget, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Then he nailed those words into place with a story. Most of you are familiar with this story, but this guy gets hauled in because he owns this, owes this obnoxious amount of money to his boss or to the king, the guy that would you know, be in charge of him back in that culture. Now, I don't know how he got in debt like this, but anyways, the, he gets hauled into court and he's got called to account, and all of a sudden, you know, the guy says to him, he says, okay, so if you can't pay this debt, if you're not going to pay this debt, I'm going to sell you, I'm going to sell your home, I'm going to sell everything you have, I'm going to sell your kids, I'm going to sell your wife, I'm going to sell everything that even touches your life and then I'm going to pay whatever I can from the debt, and you're going to be in prison until it's all paid. So this guy breaks down. <laughs> he bawls. He's on his knees begging for mercy. God, please forgive you. And everybody's standing around <laughs> like, this is going to work. He owes too much money. And then to everybody's surprise, the person that he owed the money to said, okay, I'm going to pay the debt myself, which is what he had to do. You're free. So this guy goes out, and while he's got still wiping the tears out of the corners of his eyes, he finds the guy who owes him like 10 bucks, and he grabs him by the throat, and he's choking him, and he's saying, you're going to go to prison until you pay this fine. And so he throws him in prison. Everybody's around. They've seen this drama, like, where he owes all this money. He won't pay it. And so they go, and they tell the king, go tell the boss who had just basically forgiven him, and the boss says, okay, <laughs> you're going to jail. And he did. And Jesus said, that's what grace does. Grace doesn't throw people in jail. Grace flows from God. And it flows into our lives. And then it flows into the lives of other people. The overflow means that you receive grace and you show grace. And this is kind of what it looks like. is God's limitless ocean of grace and it flows into us. Sorry about the bucket there. It's not very good, but it flows into us. And then it pours out of our lives and it flows into others' lives. And then hopefully it flows out of their lives and it pours onto the path. And everything gets changed by God's goodness. That's what God intends. There's a song that gets played at almost every public memorial service, both in Canada and and uh, in England, and of course the U.S. And from my understanding, it's probably the most, the best known song in in the world, at least one of them, anyways. People sing it at candlelight vigils, you know, as they mourn the loss of people killed in senseless tragedies, you know, like 9/11 and the Boston Marathon. And the song is "Amazing Grace." I mean, Elvis recorded it, so it must be one of the top, right? Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Man, if you've ever felt grace in your life, got forgiveness, <laughs> it saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And the question is, does grace include racists and slave traders? 
How about somebody who ripped 20,000 people from their country and from their families and from their jobs and their futures and then sold them to other people who would treat them in unthinkable ways and that kind of stuff would just flow down through their families like it condemned you know, the next generations of their families. What about somebody like that? That's a monstrous, unpayable debt. As you know, John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, was that man. He was, unpo- he was part of what is, has to be one of the most horrible s- s- sections of human history, slave trading in the 1700s. And the only thing that changed him, the only thing that you know, caused him to rethink his life was he's out on a ship you know, and all of a sudden this big storm comes up you know, and he does this, you know, oh God, save my life kind of thing. You know? and, and God does. And then he begins to rethink where he's at and he found forgiveness. But I'll tell you what's wrenching about his story is that there was, no, you know, there was no redemption for the people that he had sold into slavery. Their whole families were gone. Their whole lives were ruined. He gets forgiven. But what about them? And of course, the truth is that grace isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. Do slave traders deserve grace? Do pedophiles deserve grace when they ruin the lives of young kids? Do mass murderers like those who perpetuated the Holocaust deserve grace? How about those who traffic in kids, who live in Cambodia and run whole things where they they find people who are willing to sell their children and then they sell them to foreign traders who will come in and have sex with them and rape them? What about the people who operated this building before we even got here, who who trafficked in women and ruined their lives? What about them? See, Grace, by definition, is undeserved. It's unearned. It's unearnable. Grace is the statement, I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to have a fresh chance. I don't deserve to be made new. Made new. Not with what I've done with my life. I don't deserve it. See, when grace is earned or deserved, it ceases to be grace. When, when forgiveness is deserved, it ceases to be forgiveness. I wrote this up here. I heard it. Okay, so this isn't original with me, but I, I thought it was kind of funny, you know. I deserve grace. I also plan my own surprise parties. You, you know, it doesn't make sense. Grace is never deserved. Grace is never deserved. Grace is amazing, and I'll tell you, it stays amazing in a world that is thirsty for it when it is truly grace, when the goodness of God spills out of heaven, spills into our hearts, spills into our lives, and spills out through our fingertips and through our eyes and through our lives. And then all of a sudden, what Jesus did begins to make sense. You have a chance to be amazing, like grace, but we can only be amazing when we actually show grace and we show the forgiveness that Jesus has given so generously to us. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for your incredible grace. Not just something that you, you know, in a moment's thought, once thought you would do because it seemed like a cool thing to do for the people who needed it so deeply. You thought this through. You planned it for thousands of years. And then you surprise us with it when you showed up here. And when you were willing to keep descending and descending and descending from the glory and the power of heaven to a planet that rejected you and nailed you to a cross.
Help us, God, to learn how to be as extravagant with our grace and our forgiveness as you are with yours. And I thank you that you can make us like that. Amen.